Good morning. As always, it is great to be here and we're thankful to God for the opportunity and the privilege to be able to worship him together this morning. I hope that you have your Bibles and uh, that you will open them with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be studying today from Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse number 11. Romans chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through verse number 11. The book of Romans is a book of therefores. There is the therefore of condemnation, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by law shall no flesh be justified, for by the law comes the knowledge of sin. There is the therefore of justification, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, our passage this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is the therefore of non-condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And there is the therefore of dedication, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, as you know, when you see the word therefore, you have to figure out what it is there for. The word therefore in Scripture is very important to understand because whenever we see that word, it carries a great deal of implication. Essentially, what the writer is doing when he uses the word therefore is he is making a point based on preceding information. And most always, that point is very important for the context in which we have to be studied, in which we happen to be studying. Now, the book of Romans is a very logical book. Its theme is found in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. When we're reading and studying the book of Romans, we are reading a book that is all about how to be right with God. Its theme is justification, and the word justification, as we'll discuss today uh, to some degree, is basically a legal term that has to do with a person who is guilty of committing a crime, standing before the judge, and the judge then acquitting that person of all charges. You've probably heard it said, and I think it's a great and fitting way of saying it and remembering it, that the word justification or justified basically means that I stand before God just if I'd never sinned. So in the book of Romans then, the Apostle Paul will explain why people need to be justified. He will explain how justification is possible. He will explain the implications of justification on our lives. In other words, how does it change my life? How does it change the way I think? How does it change the way I live? And he will even talk about the benefits or the blessings that come with justification, and he will lay this uh, argument out in a very rational and in a very logical way. 
So as we study through this book and we look for the word therefore, what that word will do is it will help us to see the argument, it will help us to see the logic behind the argument, and it will help us to think logically about the arguments as well. So what this book is all about and what these therefores tell us is the fact that God wants us to understand that there are great logical implications that flow naturally forth from the fact that we can be justified. And this morning we want to talk about just one of those very important implications, but it is very important, maybe the most important, because of how comforting it is and because of the fact that it deals with life not only in the present, but also in the future. And that very important implication of justification is this, that we have something as Christians which no one outside of Christ truly could ever have, and that is assurance. We live in a world that can be very frightening and very dangerous. We live lives that at times can be terrifying. Anxiety is easy to come by. We scratch our heads and wonder about the future on multiple occasions as we navigate the course of this life. And maybe sometimes even we wonder about our standing with God. Am I right with God? Am I living the way that God would have me to live? If my life were to end this very moment, would I be, would I be able to go to heaven and be with God? These are the kinds of questions that we think about and that we ask ourselves on a regular basis as we live here in this world. And these things can cause great trepidation, can they not? But now I want you to turn your attention with me to our therefore in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And what I want us to notice is now, as we get to Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is beginning a new phase or a new section in this book. In chapters 1 and 2 and the first part of chapter 3, he described the need for justification or why all people need to be right with God. Then in chapter 3 verse 20 through chapter 4, he explained how that comes to pass. It's through the death of Jesus, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 and following. It's through an obedient faith in Jesus, Romans chapter 4. And now we get to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and he begins a section that goes all the way through the end of chapter 8. And in this section, he begins to talk about the implications. We know that we need to be right with God. We know that we can be made right with God. Now we are right with God. What does it mean? Paul says, well, among other things, it means that we can, have, we can have this blessed assurance of which we have just sang. When we know Christ died for us and when we know that we've been justified by his blood, we can know, therefore, that there is no need to be troubled because we have a great assurance. And in five ways or with five points, the Apostle Paul, four points, excuse me, will outline the components of that assurance in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and following. I want you to notice the first component in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, and that is peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word peace, as you well know, most basically has to do or most basically refers to the absence of conflict. And if you go back and read, we won't do it this morning, but if you'll go back and read the first two chapters of this book, you will see as the Apostle Paul describes the very hopeless situation of being in a constant state of conflict with God. 
There's the horrible nature of sin as is described in those two chapters. Tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man that does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Apostle Paul will say in Romans chapter 2. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And if we fast forward a few chapters to chapter 6, he'll say that the wages or the payment of that sin is death. All people stand under the sentence or the condemnation of death outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that sin separates us from God in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, but in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 10, the Apostle Paul will say the same thing. He'll tell us that in sin, we are separated from him and we stand in need of being reconciled. He said we were enemies, but when we were enemies, God reconciled us back to himself through his son. The word reconciliation has to do with making peace. It's the idea of repairing a broken relationship. Maybe Isaiah the prophet put it best when he said, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Isaiah 48 and verse number 22. And why is that the case? Because in sin, we are separated from our God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, according to James chapter 1, who is the giver of life, according to John chapter 10, who is the author of peace, who put together or has presented the gospel of peace, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15. His son, Jesus Christ, makes peace, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 17. And so outside of Jesus Christ, apart from God, there is no peace. And yet Paul says in Romans 5 and verse number 1 that we need not to fear because the good news is, that's the word gospel, right? Good news is. The good news is that in forgiveness or with forgiveness of sin, that is justification then, the relationship with God that is ruined because of sin is restored and we come to know the peace of having fellowship with God. It's the peace that passes all understanding that Paul will talk about in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and following. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will fill your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. There is a great sense of rest and contentment that comes as a result of being at peace with God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, Paul says, is what? Is life and peace. This world is a hectic place and we struggle to keep up and everyone, unless they're crazy or just lying to you, has a desire to find peace somewhere amongst all of the crazy. But the Bible tells us that in Christ Jesus, that's where peace is found. And so therefore, we can thank our God and we can rest easy because of peace. Number two, there is access. There is access. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I want you to look at the word access. First of all, note that Paul describes our access as being into a what is really a sphere, and that sphere or that area he describes as grace. 
Now the question then is, contextually, when Paul says we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, what is the grace that he's talking about? It's justification. The grace in which we stand, the grace that the the Apostle Paul is talking about, is basically the ability to be right with God. And in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, Paul said, This is by grace. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 4 and verse number 16, he says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that his sin is reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul says we have access into this grace in which we stand, he's talking about grace in the sense of the ability to be right with God and the fact that that ability comes not because we have earned it or because we deserve it in any way. That's the discussion of Romans chapter 4. But rather it is because God, because of his great love with which he loved us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, sent his son into the world to die on the cross so that through him we might have eternal life. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Through him we are reconciled back to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God is reconciling us back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's grace. Now, second, look at the word access more closely. It might interest you to know that the word access only appears two more times in the entirety of the New Testament. Those two times are both found in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. When Paul says we have access, essentially what he's talking about as our entrance If grace or being right with God is a sphere or a room, there has to be a door that allows you into the room. And Paul says that we have access, the literal language, the grammar means we stand having gained access. In other words, there was a time, a point in time, in which we opened the door and we walked into the room and now we are currently and permanently standing into the room. Now here's a couple of questions. If we are able to open the door and go into the room, if we're able to enter into, if you will, a right relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, then when and how does that happen? Well, turn the page just one chapter and the Apostle Paul will tell you. In Romans chapter 6, Paul deals with the Christian and his relationship to sin. And essentially what he says is that the Christian has no relationship to sin. And the reason is because we are now dead to sin, Romans chapter 6 and verse 2. Now the question is, how do we die to sin? Look what he says in verse 3. Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. 
justification. Being able to stand before God, justified, never sinned. Righteousness, being able to be right with God. This grace in which we stand, the ability to be justified, the ability to be right with God. At what point does it happen? How do we gain access? Paul says we gain access, Romans 6, through baptism. We gain access through obeying the gospel. We gain access, according to Romans chapter 6, by reenacting the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the old man of sin dies. And a new man rises, comes out of the watery grave of baptism, and he does so in order to walk in newness of life. All things are passed away. Behold, excuse me, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are come, become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have a new life in which we walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and following. We have a new life in which we are now sons of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. We have a new life in which our fellowship with God is restored. We do that through our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's another thing that we've got to think about with access. We know that grace has to do with being right with God, that it's pictured as a room, and that we, at one point, open the door and enter into the room. That's baptism, that's obedience to the gospel, but that's not the end of it. He says, it is this grace in which we stand. And when he says that we stand, he's talking about the fact that we're here now and we always will be. So it's not just an insurance, but it's also a standing. It's, it's an abiding sense of standing, if you will. How does that happen? Back to Romans chapter 6. How does the chapter begin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not, he says. You see, the discussion of Romans chapter 6 is all about the contrast between death and life. And he says that in sin, we're dead. But in Christ, we're alive. And the way that we transition from death to life is by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. But the implication of that is that once we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins and the old man dies, the things of the old man die along with him. For example, look later on in the chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, he says, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God bethink that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. What is he talking about? He's talking about a fundamental transformation in allegiance. A fundamental transformation in lifestyle. Why should we no longer continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Romans 6 verse 1. The reason is because we have died and the person who lived in sin is dead and we are not allowed to go back and, or we shouldn't anyway, go back and bring him back to life. Instead, our allegiance changes. We no longer serve sin and Satan. We serve Christ and righteousness. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. The characteristics of the Christian, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following. The change in behavior from 
someone who is walking in darkness to someone who is walking in light, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and following. All of those things are to be present in our lives as we continue our standing in grace. Back to Romans chapter 5. We're talking about assurance. We're talking about reasons why when the whole world is burning around us, we can feel at peace and we can feel joy and we can feel confidence and we can have this sort of, this sort of steady uh, mindset or, or this, this uh, ability to endure all of the ups and downs of life. And that is, number one, because we have peace. Number two, because we have access. We have access into this grace in which we stand. We know that we are in a right standing with God and we can continue that right standing with God because we continue to live a life that is pleasing to God. But here's the third, joy in suffering. Paul says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. The Bible says that suffering is the lot of the Christian. In this world you shall have tribulation, John 16, verse 33. But you see, for the Christian, trial works for us, not against us. James said in James chapter 1, verse 1 and following, my, uh, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, he says. The idea is, let patience do its job. Why would we do that? Because suffering works for us, not against us. Now, I want you to underline the word tribulation that Paul uses in this context because the tribulation that's mentioned here is not in reference to the everyday ups and downs of life that test us. This word is specific, and it is specifically in reference to the pressure that is put upon Christians from those who are hostile to the cause of Jesus Christ. This is a word that has to do with the difficulty that comes because people hate us and who we are and what we believe and what we stand for. And what does Paul say about how we're to react to those things? He says we're to rejoice, and there are three reasons why. Number one, he says, because tribulation works perseverance. The word perseverance literally refers to the ability to hold up under, the, under pressure. And if you'll connect this verse with Romans 8 and verse 28, it helps the picture to become even more clear. Because the real idea is that we have the ability to hold up under pressure knowing that God is with us. For we know that all things work together for good, Paul says, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Perseverance, he says, then produces character. Literally, what he's talking about when he says experience is a tested or a proven character. We're talking about a battle-tested veteran. This is the same word that the Apostle Peter will use, or the same concept, rather, that Apostle Peter will use in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he talks about a faith that has been tried. It's the image of, the, it's the image of taking the precious metals and putting them into the fire and burning off all of the impurities. And so what you have left is pure and, and good. By dealing with tribulation, then, he says, we learn the ability to hold up under pressure and our character is proven. We pass the test. We become a battle-hardened veteran. And then number three, he says, that results in hope. We'll talk more about hope in just a moment. 
But in this passage, hope is really the idea of our confidence growing. Well, our confidence in what? How about our confidence in the promises of God? Our confidence in the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the benevolence of God. Our confidence grows. Why can we have assurance? Because we have peace, because we have access, because we can rejoice in suffering. No matter how hard it gets, we can be joyful. Now let's talk about hope because this is our fourth and final point. But I want to suggest to you that hope might actually be the main idea of the whole section. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 We rejoice in hope. Romans chapter 5, verse 4, patience, experience, experience hope, and hope doesn't make us ashamed. Why? Because of the love of God. Well, how do we know or how can we be sure of the love of God? Verse 6 through 8. And what is the ultimate result or the realization of our hope? Verse 9 through 11. Now let's talk about that in more detail. The word hope basically defined is talking about realistic expectation. You know, how, you know how to recognize this. It's football season soon, and you Aggies think that you're going to compete for the national championship. That is unrealistic expectation. That will never happen. Hope is real. It's realistic expectation. It's like saying that the Dallas Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Just kidding. When we talk about hope, or when the Bible talks about hope, the Bible is talking about something that is not a wish, but something that actually will happen. You can take it to the bank, if you will. And Paul says, we rejoice in hope, tribulation produces hope, and hope will not leave us disappointed. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. What does he mean that hope will not leave us disappointed? It means that at the end of the day, when all we're left standing with is the realistic expectation, the hope that we have through Christ Jesus, that that hope is not going to, that hope is not going to be absent. That hope is not like the person who says, yes, I'll be with you and I'll be there for you. And then when we need them the most, they're gone. No, that's not how it works. The hope will not leave us standing alone. Now, why will it not leave us standing alone? He says, well, it won't disappoint because it rests on the steadfast ground of the love of God. Notice the language. Hope makes not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts uh, by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit, he says, uh, sheds the love of God in our hearts. It's Uh, It is uh, something that uh, refers back to to a one-time action with continuing results. But then in verses 6 through 8, he talks more about the love of God. It's like he he, uh, makes a a sub-point under his main point. I want you to know, Paul says, that we have hope and that hope is not going to leave us ashamed. And the reason why it's not going to leave us ashamed is because it's on the solid ground of God's love. And oh, by the way, speaking about the solid ground of God's love, just how solid is it? For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man one would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
What's the point? What are you trying to tell me, Paul? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If at any time you doubt or you become fearful, stop and take your minds back to the cross. Because the greatest demonstration of God's love is seen at the cross. Now look at verse 9 through 11. Paul tells us that our hope is not going to leave us ashamed. He tells us that we can rejoice in our hope, that our suffering helps our hope to grow more precious. What is it? Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I want you to look at the phrase, we shall be saved. It's pointing to the future. Remember I told you that Romans chapter 5 begins a context that goes all the way through the end of Romans chapter 8. And what is it that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 18? He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The hope that we have is eternal life with our Father in heaven. The hope that we have, as Paul will define it, is glory. Paul says there's going to come a time, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in which the Lord is going to return. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the air together, in the clouds, to meet them with the Lord, and hence shall we be with the Lord forevermore. The Bible tells us that there's going to come a time in which the Lord is going to return and that this world is going to come to an end and that we're going to go and we're going to be with our Father in His house. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And throughout the book of Romans, particularly chapters 5 through 8, as Paul reflects back on the need to be right with God and the fact that we can be right with God and now ultimately the blessings of being right with God, the one thing that stands out above and beyond all the others is we know we will live with God in His house forever. So what does that mean then? Well, that means that just like Romans is a book of therefores, our lives need to be lives that are based on a set of therefores. You know, like the Bible says that I must live as Christ, and so therefore, here's what that means. But more to the point of our lesson, the Bible says that I have peace, and I have access, and I can rejoice in suffering, and I have a living hope a realistic expectation of eternal life with my Father forever. And so therefore, I will not allow myself to be overwhelmed by the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties of life, but rather with confident expectation will, with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses, um, uh, verses 8 and following, look forward to the goal, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Fanny J. Crosby wrote the song, Blessed Assurance. And I'm sure that you know that Fanny Crosby was blind, struck blind at an early age because of a doctor who didn't have a clue what he was doing. 
And yet she never let that blindness hinder her. In fact, there are numerous quotes that we have on record by her about how determined she was to never let her uh, never allow her blindness to take any joy away from her or to uh, allow her to be discouraged or to be an excuse uh, not, to, not to be happy and joyful in life. And I think it's interesting, and I think that we can learn a lot of lessons from her and from her mindset. And as she sat down and wrote the words to the song, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, lost in his love. What she wanted each and every one of us to do is go back in our minds to passages like Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And draw from that the conclusion that we can and should be the happiest people on the face of this earth because of the great assurance that we have. So this morning, as we offer the Lord's invitation then, the question is up to you or left to you. Do you know this great assurance, this great peace uh, that comes by knowing that you're right with God? The Bible tells us, as we talked about earlier, that in order for a person to be right with God, that they have to just obey God. That means believe in Jesus Christ, John 3 and verse 16. That means uh, confess faith, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, and repent of sins, Acts 3 and verse 19, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 and verse number 38. This morning, are you a Christian, but you've lost sight of the great hope that you have? You're not at peace. Can we pray for you? Can we help you? Can we encourage you in some way? If you have need, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing the invitation.